Hello and welcome to Warehouse 69, the Fediverse's finest Warehouse 13 Watch podcast. I'm the Internet's beloved Princess Grace, and with me as always is my co-host Timmy. How you doing, Timmy? Pretty good. How are you today, Grace? Oh, I'm pretty jazzed, honestly, to talk about Season 1, Episode 8, Duped. This was a good fucking episode. This is probably my favorite so far. Yeah, this one has a uh, has a lot of fun stuff going on with it today. Like, it starts with Micah just absolutely beating the shit out of Pete, which is always good to see. <laughs> right, yeah, she needs to get that aggression out. We, uh, we both know that she uh, has some deep-seated anger with uh, men in her life. Yeah. I mean, I, sometimes I want to beat up Pete, too. Right. Of course, Pete's actor, if you're out there, I don't want to beat you up. If you want to be on the show, let us know. <laughs> Right. Email us at uh, warehouse69 at tuta.io. T-U-T-A dot I-O. I promise I will only jokingly offer to fight you. <laughs> you could beat me up. You're a very strong guy. Right. Yeah, Eddie definitely works out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Big, so, he's a big guy. So, yeah, uh, we get them... F- fighting over an artifact as our cold open. And it's a pretty short sequence before they tell us that uh, 14 hours earlier, we're back at the warehouse. And uh, Artie explains the plot of the last episode to us real quick. Right. It's a, it's a very... It's probably the best you could have done that exposition. Have him... There's an evil warehouse agent who's... Trying to take stuff from us before we can put it in here. Is everyone caught up? Good. Always nice when they do the recap without just uh, rolling back through the uh, old footage. They also did a previously on Warehouse 13, though. Right. (laughs) Yeah, it's important that your your viewer is up to speed because we've gotten away from the Monster of the Week stuff. Yeah, even though McPherson doesn't show up in this episode he doesn't have anything to do with it yeah i don't think he has even a uh tangential uh sort of impact on any of the events of this episode yeah at least not that we know of so far or right i know of so far but it does explain why Artie is uh is having pete mike and claudia do inventory instead of going out artifact hunting right and uh, Pete's definition of uh, doing inventory is uh, pretty unique, since he's back in front of uh, Lewis Carroll's looking glass. Uh, playing some ping playing pong. Playing ping pong against himself, yeah. Yeah, against me or Pete, or meat. Now, a looking glass, that's a magnifying glass usually, right? Like, it's not know. usually a mirror, is it? Uh, apparently, it is a mirror. I just looked it up, which... Which I guess makes sense. It's a glass for looking at yourself. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think most glasses are for looking at the thing through them. Well, but for looking at yourself, specifically. True. A a looking glass is an (laughs) object that reflects an image, even though mirrors aren't usually made of glass. I mean, aren't they? Aren't they usually glass over, like, uh, silver at least old mirrors. Yeah, but but the glass is like just to stop you from messing with the silver, isn't it? It's really hard to make silver that shiny. Mm-hmm. So like if you 
it's very easy to make glass real flat. It's very hard to make silver real flat. Yeah. So if you put the silver on the glass, it suddenly becomes really flat. <laughs> yeah, and that makes sense. But it's, it's not the glass that's being reflective. It's the silver. Right. Yeah, so if you went to the backside of a mirror and started scratching it, it would become a uh, window. Yeah, which, and there is a glass involved, I'll give them that. It's not, it's more accurate than I thought it was. Yeah, so Pete's being very productive. He mentions that they have a little bit of extra time. I can't imagine that, like, working in the warehouse and you're doing inventory, it really makes that much sense to, you know... Just sort of mess around with your extra time. It seems where they would have extra time. It seems like a big fucking warehouse. Right. And at some point, that computer's going to beep and say, hey, we, uh, we through the uh, magic of plot devices, found something weird. Yeah. And, you know, I, honestly, I think Pete's just fucking around, given that, like, right. Mike is clearly not taking a break. And, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I get it. Like, that's. This job seems like it sucks. I would also not want to do it. Right, yeah. So, uh... Oh, yeah, I did have noted that Artie, when he was uh, talking with Lena about the McPherson deal, that he mentioned that he's pretty hard to kill. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know, like what sort of evidence he has for that i mean no one's killed him yet yeah he, so he i is guess currently yeah still alive <laughs> right the stats are on his side i i think he's saying <laughs> he's got an undefeated record yeah I, I i think what he's trying to say is like i i have survived stuff that should have killed me before which is probably true in his line of work or there's some something spooky going on right and I guess this is why they included the McPher already explained the McPherson stuff because kind of what sets off the events of this episode is Pete and Mikey getting into a fight about like Artie keeps hiding stuff from us. It's dangerous that he like didn't tell us this shit that would have really helped. And Pete yeah, is Mike really defensive of him. Like I, yeah. Mike is definitely in the right here. I mean, Micah's got every reason to be upset, and Pete is a little bit, like, unrealistically loyal, mm -hmm. which, I mean, is probably one of, the, uh, one of the traits that was very useful to him as a Secret Service agent. Yeah. But, like, he's probably loyal to a fault, because when they had the file full of, uh, full of arty info, and Micah's pouring through it, Pete didn't even want to hear what was in it. Oh, yeah, that's the thing, right? He's got that sort of, oh, you know, oh, you know, I like Artie. I think he's, he can't have done anything wrong. And, like, Micah likes Artie, too, but she has some genuine concerns about him hiding information from them that right. would have and, really come in handy. Right, and, like, even if the explanation they gave was uh, something, it, it's not a very good explanation as to why. Why there was a uh, a file on Artie doing treason, but like, even if you buy that, Artie still has not been very supportive of his field agents. Like, yeah, that's the thing, right? It's like, you know, I don't want to say I can forgive treason on this podcast, but like, 
even if I'm willing to believe, well, that's whatever. It's the fact that I get that, like, Micah, Secret Service cop, would get hung up on that. But it's specifically, like, just how completely dodgy and cagey he is about stuff like this and how he doesn't answer direct questions often about, like, what they're supposed to be doing. That right. really seems irresponsible. Yeah, it's one thing to not want to talk about your past, yeah. but, like, if you're sending someone into the field to go chase down a katana that makes people invisible, it'd be really nice for you to tell them, oh, yeah, there's, like, an invisibility deal. The guy who has it might just be invisible, and if that's the case, you're kind of in trouble. Oh, and also, the guy who wants it is this, you know, ex-warehouse mastermind. Right, which... Pulling the strings. Artie was absolutely convinced of, but... Yeah, uh, which... But he refused to tell Pete and Micah about. Right. Yeah, and uh, Mrs. Frederick didn't particularly think that he was correct. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Artie choosing not to provide any of the relevant information and just sort of tells them to go, see what you see, find it out. Yeah. Which Which, is frustrating. Right. uncharacteristic, but... It's frustrating for both us, the audience, and for Pete and Micah. So I can see why she is upset, and it's kind of weird that Pete is, oh, I think he's, I don't think he did anything wrong. Right, yeah, he's got an exceptionally large amount of patience, especially when we consider that most of these episodes are portrayed as taking place, like, with weeks separating each other, like they've been out in the field and back in the warehouse several times that are just not televised. Yeah. So, like, they've been dealing with Artie and his his whole deal for, you know, a couple months now, I think. Yeah, this is not an isolated incident. Right. And so, like, much as Micah would like to get comfortable in her new job, she can't because she has trouble trusting Artie. Yeah. Because, like, we've heard... At least two different people, I think at least two, at least one person tell Micah, get out now. Right. Artie isn't really giving her much of a reason to stay other than, where else are you going to go? Right. And, like, she had a good career with the Secret Service. It's not like she uh, is not going to be able to continue that career. Well, there is whatever happened in Denver, but, like, she continued Secret Servicing after that. Right, and then got a direct presidential commendation after that. Yeah. <laughs> like, the the bigger concern is that, like, when Claudia got to know the warehouse, apparently Mrs. Frederick said there are uh, limited options for what you can do after you know the warehouse. Yeah, which explains why uh, that lady from Burnout had to, like... You know, just kind of leave. and Right. Yeah, I'm not really sure how that would work. Like, uh, I'm pretty sure the warehouse could track you down if you decide to leave and change only your last name and go back to living in the town that uh, your uh, former lover, yeah, is, like, supposed to find you in. <laughs> not really sure how that works, but they're... Yeah. Uh, they're pretty chill with it when she comes back around to drop off the uh, 
the spine of the Saracen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but, here, uh, they even offer a job again. Like, hey, do you want to come back? Right, yeah, it's all cool. <laughs> to which she says, of course, no, not on your life, but... Right, so uh, apparently there is, you know, options for you if you leave the warehouse. At least on good terms. Yeah. Who knows, maybe, uh... Maybe if your partner fucking dies, they... Hey, uh, we totally get if you want to just leave. Right. So what do, uh... What sets the, uh... The Studio 54 disco ball into motion? So Pete and Mike are fighting... Okay. She, one of them gets pushed into one of the shelves. And okay. It, which nudges the shelf, which sends the Studio 54 disco ball rolling off like the top of one of the shelves, which... So this is not the first time they're fighting on the uh, warehouse floor. Correct. And the last time, their negative energy started building up, and yeah. uh, they had to get gacked. Yeah. I'm surprised this time it didn't happen. It's so I, I have a lot of thoughts about this scene. One of which is like Artie has previously mentioned, like, oh, Miss Frederick won't pay for mesh screens on the shelves. But you'd think you'd at least like if you have spheres, right? Have spherical don't... artifacts, you would put them on or in something. Right. Don't set them on a shelf without any sort of lip. Yes, like, exactly. Spheres do one thing and they do it really well. Yeah, and so. <laughs> Yeah, and so Pete and Micah start fighting or something, which knocks over the which knocks over the disco ball, causing it to land on the ground, releasing some of the disco that is inside the ball. And right. frankly, I'm surprised they licensed "I Will Survive" for this. So for this, they even yeah, licensed I another song later on. There's two licensed songs in this episode. They really broke the bank. Right. Yeah, it's a little surprising. We haven't seen very much uh, licensed music so far. And then... Yeah, the disco ball falls and, yeah, starts playing I Will Survive, while uh, Micah is trying to prevent the looking glass from falling over. So she ends up staring directly into it face-to-face -face with her reflection while the disco ball is going off which Pete covers his ears, but Mike is using both hands to hold up the mirror. Mm -hmm. And so she's just sort of exposed to... Uh, the disco. The, yeah, the raw, unadulterated disco. She is, she is disco-blasted extremely hard. Yep. And uh, we see Claudia react to the light show and disco music by... Uh, Bust in a quick move, and Artie <laughs> hates disco. Ah. Now, there's a whole side tangent here about disco demolition night and racism and whatnot. Right. Yeah, there, there's a whole lot about hating disco. Yeah, which <laughs> I don't think Artie is, I don't think is what the writers intended when they had Artie say that. Frankly, if I had a, a magic box that blasted, I, I will survive, I would probably be pretty sick of that song, too. Right. And I think that, uh, yeah, the overall, like, 
if you just say I hate disco, a lot of the sentiment that caused things like Disco Demolition Night have been divorced from the idea of hating disco at yeah. this point. Yeah, like we're disco is so dead. Far... I hate disco is a, it's a meme or whatever that has right. been that yeah that as you say has been divorced from the very real, very racist sentiments that right. caused the decline of disco music in the first place. Yeah, so it's easy to imagine a writer doing this inadvertently. Yeah, especially like, you know, to say Artie is, you know, he was around when disco was big, and so on, and whatnot. Right. Which, if anything, he should know the uh, underlying context better because of that, but... Yeah. I mean, it depends, because, like, it was sort of specific and localized in an era before the internet, so... Mm-hmm. I can't expect everyone in the country to hear about uh, Disco Demolition Night. I mean, you don't turn on your TV once and you miss whatever happened that day on the news. Yeah, like I remember reading about Disco Demolition Night as a kid. I used to have those, uh, ever see the, these Uncle John's bathroom readers? I don't think I have. They're like big, thick books. They're like, you know, cup two or three inches thick, like thick books. And they're just full of like, you know, stories and fun facts and like stuff to read while you're on the toilets is the and one of them was a was like a little story about disco demolition night i remember reading as a kid it wasn't until i was an adult when i like oh that's why they were burning disco with effigy right it was racism that makes sense yeah <sighs> so uh micah seems pretty enthralled with this uh reflection of herself during that moment mm -hmm. and eventually the disco ball just sort of calms down pete helps micah with the mirror and Artie gets down there and is asking what's going on and micah just sort of says ask him and walks away very quickly suspicious i mean she's been in a mood all day so like yeah i you know yeah, it seems pretty reasonable. She did just get blasted with a lot of disco. Right. But we don't know how Micah feels about disco. We do not. Pete and Micah are going back and forth about uh, Lewis Carroll's looking glass, and Pete described Alice in Wonderland as chick-lit. Oh, that's what he was saying. I thought it was yeah. talking about the gum. That makes more sense. No, it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, literature for women. Chicklet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it's technically true and that, like, the stories were written for Lewis Carroll's daughter. Well, yeah, they were written for Lewis Carroll's daughter, so, but they were written by warehouse agents. Yes, like, yeah, we find out the real <laughs> answer, which is... That they were blah blah deep cover fabrications whatever about real effects. Right. Let's let's put a pin in that and come back to that when it comes yeah. up because I have opinions on this. <laughs> oh yeah. First we have to talk about my in my notes I wrote Pete Colin Gamer by which I mean he is look. This is what we were talking about last episode where Pete is like looking at his BlackBerry. Yep. <laughs> or and like they they're clearly dubbing bleeps and bloops and video game noises over it. Right. And uh, 
this scene goes on. There's other stuff that happens here that's worth talking about. But at the end of it, Claudia is clearly holding Pete's phone as he, like, she takes his phone from him while they're all talking. And the last time we see Claudia, she is clearly holding Pete's phone. Right. Claudia and Pete are fighting over Pete's Blackberry. Yeah, and when the scene ends, she clearly has it. Which actually might explain the plot point later on where Pete doesn't answer his phone. Yeah, that would be uh that'd be an interesting detail. Although I think uh Pete doesn't answer his phone because he got those fancy tiny earpieces. Oh. He's worked out something's wrong with Micah, but instead of taking his earpiece out and shutting it off, he's uh just sort of like playing dumb for like a good portion oh. of the episode. Yeah. So he knew he couldn't have that phone conversation because it would uh it would blow it, essentially. That would make sense. So I guess he's just sort of trusting the uh the other side of the team to do their thing. Mm. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. That we are. This uh this is a conversation that actually means something here, regardless of uh does Pete have games on his phone? Right. Which, okay, one more thing. If I were playing a game on my cell phone in public, I would turn the sound off. Yeah, that seems like the appropriate thing to do. Also, uh, while walking into a meeting at uh, the bed and breakfast. <laughs> mm. Like, probably just put your phone away at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I get wanting to, like, I get wanting to finish your game or whatever, but it's, I don't know, maybe, maybe things have changed between 2009 and now, but, like, the idea of allowing your phone to make noise in public, minus, right, you know, a ring or notification tone, seems weird and rude, and I would not do it. I would be, right. like, embarrassed. If I started a, if I was playing game on my phone, it made noise. Right. I don't have that problem because the only game I ever play on my phone is Robot Finds Kitten. But the robot and the cat don't make noise. Uh, no. Uh, because Robot Finds Kitten was uh originally written in was it uh, well before something? computers had sound, I believe. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, it's. Okay, it was well, rewritten in 1999, written in 1997 as an as the sole entrance to a contest in the now defunct webzine Nerth Pork. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is genuinely the only game I ever play on my phone. It's just a, uh, it's just an ASCII uh, character that you can move around and walk up to other characters. And uh, they all have random object uh, text files, and they tell you what they are. Uh, yeah, seems reasonable. And then when you find the one that is kitten, uh, it plays you a little animation of a robot finding a kitten, and it says, you found kitten. Way to go, robot. Aw, happy ending. Yeah, and that's all there is to the game. <laughs> yeah, what more could you want? It's delightful. 
they describe it as a zen simulation and i really feel that like when you're playing it you're at peace you're just a robot trying to find kitten that's all you need to do and once you do it all your problems are gone you know what i appreciate that what more do you need right the only thing you need is to uh to have it available on over 30 platforms. Yeah, I'm looking at the list now. Alright, we have the Dreamcast, Apple II, Sony uh, PSP, the Rockbox, like, iPod, aftermarket yep. iPod OS, the TI, the Texas Instruments 44 calculator. Honestly, 99. the, uh, the one for Mamo was a very good port. It worked with the touchscreen if you wanted it to, uh, and it also worked with the arrow keys, and if you hit shift, you could uh, zip all the way until you hit an object. It rules. Uh, Big shout out to whoever developed the Mamo port of uh, Robot Finds Kitten. If you're listening, and you'd like to be on the show, email, <laughs> email us. us. at warehouse69 at tuda.io. They, it was ported to Lego NXT Mindstorms, you know, the oh yeah the programmable <laughs> Lego thing. Yeah, the robot controller. <laughs> I, uh, when I was still in high school, I did a uh, summer program at the local college where they, uh, the introduction to programming uh, course was just programming a Lego Mindstorm robot. Which you can't do very much in a week. It was just like, here's some Java. Here's all of the code you need. But mm. like, we're going to tweak some little things and see what it does. Yeah, it so, sounds reasonable. Yeah, like their Lego Mindstorm is kind of cheesy, but like as far as an introduction to programming, it's actually really good and really accessible, I think. Huh, neat. Yeah, like, they have a bunch of different sensors you can just sort of, like, stick on. So, like, if you have a couple wheels and a light sensor pointing down, you can make the thing follow a line. Like, you can just tell it to stay on the black line if it suddenly has a, you know, brighter response on the light sensor to hmm. steer back towards the line. Neat. Yeah, like, it's... It's really simple, uh, like, rudimentary programming, and that's kind of cool. And I think LEGO supports, you know, Java, Python, and, like, a couple other uh, languages. I was never... I always... It was always something you saw, like, other folks doing when I was growing up, but it always seemed cool. I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't imagine going out and buying one of these. Yeah, like it's, they sell it to classrooms and such. Right, and like, I could, it, I couldn't imagine going out and buying one of these for myself. But I could see buying one of these for someone who's you know, ten to thirteen and has some interest in getting started programming because I yeah. think you could legitimately get somewhere with that. In a way that, I mean, you can do it all in front of a computer, but you don't get the sort of tangible results for the uh, the actions that you're doing. Yeah, it's it's fun to, like, 
see your efforts reflected in reality. Right. Especially when you're just starting out and you can like, oh, I made it do that. Instead right. of, you know. You know I'm a sophisticated yeah, like, adult. I can be excited by, you know, words on a screen. But like, yeah. when you're a kid, you're a little harder <laughs> to impress. Excited by words on a screen? I'm pretty sure you have a website to plug. <laughs> if you'd like to be excited, aroused, or titillated by words on a screen, please visit perfect.hypnovir.us. Uh, anyway, what are these folks actually talking about in the, in the, in the show? <sighs> oh, yeah. So they're sitting down at the, uh, at the common table, like a dining table at the bed and breakfast to talk about the couple that seems to have hit a real hot streak at various casinos hmm. and uh pete and micah need to get to the bottom of how and why snag it bag it and tag it all that normal stuff hmm. claudia sits in on this meeting despite uh Artie's protests but uh yeah, she seems to view herself as part of the team, and Artie is a little apprehensive about it. Which is weird, because Claudia works here, what else is she going to do? I right, guess she yeah. can go back and do inventory, but if I were Claudia, I would not want to do inventory. Right, and uh, when Pete hears that some people are ripping off the house, he... Uh, he responds with, OMG, what's the BFD? <laughs> Pete gets some humdingers of, of a line in this one. Like right. He says, holy bananas later. <laughs> <sighs> Dork. Oh, and, uh, what did, oh yeah, uh, in response to what's the BFD, Artie explains that iniquitous hands uh, and ill-gotten blah blah blah, and Claudia turns to Pete and says, iniquitous is bad. <laughs> to which he says, thanks Roger. Which is uh, fascinating that he knows the correct pronunciation for the thesaurus guy. <laughs> and he didn't yeah, it's uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I did not like catch what that exchange meant earlier. Yeah, Roger's the thesaurus, yeah. the uh, most prominent thesaurus. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the reference. <laughs> yeah, because usually you would say, "Oh, thanks, Webster," or whatever. You go for the dictionary right. joke. But this this is a sophisticated thinking man show. Right. Yeah. Like for example, Pete makes another Star Trek reference in this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pete loves his pop culture references, but he's not so into books, like, especially boring <laughs> books. <laughs> yeah, I've watched TV. Oh, yeah. And uh, Artie hands them plane tickets and some other little uh, things in envelopes. Yeah, $10,000. Right. And uh, $10,000 to Pete, not to Micah. Yeah. Which... Not, not really sure why. I mean, there's never, ever been a moment where Artie's interacted with both of them, and it's been suggested, 
Hmm, if I had to hand one of these ten one of these two ten thousand dollars, I should definitely hand it to Pete and not Micah. Yeah, exactly. That That's... just doesn't make sense. Yeah, like Pete is literally never portrayed to be the made out to be the responsible one. He is always the guy who will touch the thing that you shouldn't touch. It's convenient right. here, but Ari doesn't know about sex Micah yet. Right. And like realistically, even if you're not like Oh, he's the guy you should, he's not the guy you should trust. He's not the guy you should, uh, assume won't do something impulsive. Like, yeah. Micah is definitely not the one that's more likely to do something impulsive with $10,000. Yeah, exactly. Micah is the one who is less likely to lose it, less likely to, you know, the, the point of this scene is to, like, you know, hint to us that something is wrong with Micah, but... If I were already, I would not have given, in that situation, I would not have given 10 grand to Pete. Right. Uh, Claudia has heard that Artie's not allowed to keep chasing after McPherson, so she offers to. Artie's very upset at this and says that uh, McPherson will kill you. He's clearly uh, pretty protective of Claudia. I mean, yeah. And... That is also true, like, McPherson would have killed Artie if Pete and Mike hadn't showed up just in time. Then we do a, uh, a sut one of those Skyline card transitions with Las Vegas uh, typed on it, and uh, we cut to Micah getting ready for her uh, night out in the casino. Hmm. I noted that she has a... Uh, cliche uh infinity sign tattoo on her ankle so any freaky foot guys out there uh this is an episode for you welcome to, to warehouse 69 the fediverse's finest warehouse 13 foot review podcast <laughs> <sighs> yeah uh pete definitely is getting a vibe about uh about Micah when he walks into the room and, like, her body language is all different. Yeah. You know, she, uh... I did note here, quote, she got blasted by the horny 70s disco ball. So, like... Yeah. You know... We, the audience, have been hinted that something is definitely wrong. Right. Yeah, I noted that we meet the couple with the artifact. Uh... And I noted that they are Lupo and Zane from uh, Warehouse, or from the uh, other sci-fi series running at the time, Eureka. Mm -hmm. Although these are not Lupo and Zane, they are uh, they are different characters, which is important to note since Eureka and Warehouse Thirteen do take place in the same universe. I don't remember their names. They were I have been calling them Crime Boy and Crime Girl in my head. Gary and Jillian Whitman. Good names. Oh yeah, that that was it. I almost went to Whitman College once upon a time. Until I realized that going to a small private liberal arts school in Walla Walla, Washington was not the best uh, career move for someone who wants to do computers. I guess. I mean... <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty... Uh... I'm pretty deeply in the camp of, like, if you just go get a degree somewhere, you'll find a job. Yeah. Like, 
Although it certainly opens better doors if you have a degree from someplace that people are more likely to recognize for their uh, their computer science yeah, programs. Like I had, yeah, I would have had to have gone there and then go somewhere else with a proper CS program. And, yeah. I'm yeah. glad I went where I went, even though there were decidedly fewer sweet onions where I wound up. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, Pete hands out these earpieces, uh, which he says he cleaned with alcohol and a little spit as Micah has inserted it into her ear. He also is trying to negotiate for the Tesla rather than the Farnsworth, because for some reason they still only have one to share between the two of them. Yeah. Like... (laughs) Only one of each. Right. Yeah, and I'm not really sure why that's the case at this point. Like, we know that there are multiple Teslas. Maybe there aren't any in the warehouse right now, but there are definitely Teslas in existence. Yeah, like McPherson had one, except it was an evil one that shot red lightning. Right, yeah, and it might turn you evil because of that. But, uh, and we don't find this out yet, but there are spare Farnsworths. Like, there's no reason why they don't have two Farnsworths, except that it's not very, uh, except that it's useful to the plot for one of them to not have it. Yeah, like, that's, yeah, because, like, part of this plot is that, like, Pete has the regular gun and Micah has the, has the Tesla. And, like, that causes problems. It seems weird that they would have to share them. Right. And Pete's complaining because uh, it's a very quick and throwaway line, but he complains that his gun is the boring one. And I'm not really sure where that's going, because throughout the series, they've actually been very consistent in having them carry the correct for the Secret Service at the time SIG service pistol. Like, I get what he's like. If I were in Pete's shoes, I would prefer to have the Tesla because it's it's more interesting. Like, the Tesla is more fun than, like, a regular old gun, I guess is what right. he's trying to say. Yeah, you get to shoot the Tesla at people. Like, yeah, like, it's probably, it looks fun to, fun to use. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I can get it, but, like... I don't know, the Farnsworth seems pretty useful, too. Yeah. And after this, I think we cut back to Artie, Claudia, and or Lena trying to, like, realizing something. Right, yeah. I have a note here about what Artie had to say about the uh, Studio 54 disco ball. So they touch on the disco ball. And... It had it's been imbued with a grim stampede grim stampeding inhumanity against anything that's decent. Like he has some strong opinions about the spirit of, you know, drugs, sex, and disco that this thing is uh steeped in. Yeah, already has some some fucking takes. Like Yeah. Like, I don't have a lot of opinions on Studio 54 because 
you know, I'm not that old. Right. <laughs> but it, it, I don't know. It, it this seems kind of harsh. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe he's, it's reasonable. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It seems, seems pretty, uh, seems like cool shit to me. Mm-hmm. Seems like these feds are, uh, just kind of trying to bring us down, man. <laughs> like, don't be a square already. Right. It seems like the Studio 54 Disco Ball would be a pretty good time. Yeah, like, I wouldn't want to get blasted by it before I had to go out to my, uh, you know, my warehouse cop job. Right. And I definitely wouldn't want to in front of uh, Lewis Carroll's Looking Glass. Yeah. Like, he says it's full of desire or something. Like, from what we can see in the episode, the the disco ball makes you horny? It's a sex yeah. disco ball? And yeah, I think it's, uh, it's just a party. Yeah. Now, it makes you uh, ready to live it up. Yeah, and I'm willing to believe there were you know, drugs and whatnot going on in Studio 54. Like, I mean, it'd be it pretty be hard to believe there weren't. Yeah, yeah. given like all of the rich and powerful people who, who came through there, it would be weird if there wasn't. So uh, Pete and Micah find their couple. The couple is doing a very bad job at concealing their... Uh, their... Their thing. Their, yeah, their... their knowledge that they're going to win. We yeah. don't we don't actually get eyes on what the artifact is immediately. Well, we do, but Pete and Micah don't. Mm-hmm. And then uh Pete decides that they ought to split up. Micah keeps an eye on the uh the two gamblers and Pete uh goes and tosses their hotel room without a warrant. Yeah, very cool and normal, Pete. Good good cop work. Yep, this is uh this is just normal. This is how we do it. I'm not really sure why Pete does this given that he knows that they have to like have the artifact on hand. At one point they mentioned maybe it's uh maybe they don't, but like that doesn't make very much sense at all. In fact, Micah knows that because she uh read the book. Yeah. She read the handbook. Yeah, and like something Pete obviously did not do. Yeah, exactly. Upon starting his new uh super secret warehouse job. Oh no, of course not. So weird decision on Pete's part. And Pete and Micah don't usually split up that often, it occurs to me. Yeah, I mean I think we'll see it plenty, but yeah, it's it's useful as a plot device because yeah. when they're together, you know, there's a lot of stuff that they're more capable of doing, so it can extend things that would otherwise be pretty uh pretty easily explained by just Tesla them and take the thing. Mm-hmm. The the weird thing is that it's Pete that suggests this. It's not Sex Micah trying to get rid of Pete. This is Pete's yeah, idea. He just- he just wants to go do uh do cop crimes because it's been a little while since he's done a cop crime. Yeah, he just wants to, you know, go go mess with someone's personal private stuff. So, 
Uh, in our previous cutaway, we did notice that uh, the mirror appeared to be holding a uh, an afterimage of Micah, and she seems to want to get out of the mirror. So they've moved it up into Artie's office, and Claudia apparently has constructed a uh, laser microphone, like the kind the uh, FBI uses. The, yeah, FBI used to listen to uh, people in rooms remotely. There is a, a really good bit of acting here that where uh, Claudia suggests something, and Artie just like turns around and looks at her. And she gets the message. Yeah. And Artie is adamantly against hearing what this mirror has to say. Yeah, which... And this is... A lot of times when Artie says, like, oh, you can't do that, because, you know, it feels a little fake, but, like... No, I get it. Like, I sincerely believe that Artie has, like, been burned by mirror shit in the past. And I, I just really appreciate the physical acting that goes into like that fucking look he gives Claudia. It's a good right. It, it's well constructed. Yeah, I gotta wonder if he ha directly had a run-in with Bloody Mary, because that's uh, specifically the thing he brings up yeah. repeatedly. This is also where he says that uh, they wrote Lewis... Oh yeah, they're pouring over... Uh, the documents they have related to Lewis Carroll's books because uh, they want to know more about this mirror that has Micah possibly trapped in it. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how the actual books that were released are warehouse fabrications because what Lewis Carroll actually wrote about were uh, someone's descent into madness. And it was kind of uh, unsettling stuff. Yeah, that makes so. The books Carol, who, which is a pen name, I forget the guy's actual name, uh, wrote about Charles Ludwig Dodson. That's Dodson. That sounds yeah. right. But so the story, I kind of got, I kind of got confused. The descendant of forget. Okay, so. Uh, the stories chronicled the descent into madness of a woman by the name of Alice Liddell. Apparently, this mirror was once owned by Liddell. Which would make sense, because she's apparently trapped inside it. Uh, so, what happened is that like, the warehouse found out he was, he was writing these books that were apparently problematic enough to, like, like what were they artifacts, or they were just like really fucked up, or something, or they were like, were they yeah. evidence of weird shit happening? Yeah, they never go into detail about why, but yeah, they couldn't let these books see the light of day. They simply replaced them with uh, warehouse fabrications. So, which did they tell the guy? Did they just kind of? Like, did they, like, replace the books without telling the guy? Did he know? Did they have to, like, disappear Dodson? Uh, I'm really not sure, like, what happened here. So, yeah, and, like, the more concerning thing to me is, like, okay, so this guy's writing some stuff. 
they have to prevent his writings from getting out into the world. So they produce fake versions that are not so disturbing or whatever under a pen name. Yes. Like, why did they need to cover up that he wrote these things when he wrote them or when the release they ultimately use wasn't even under his name? Well, presumably Dodson was because, you know, in our in our consensus reality, he published under the pen name, right? Right. So presumably if you were replacing the book, you would use the same pen name. My question is like in Warehouse 13's world, did Dodson know this was happening? What happened to the guy? My thing is like he never released a book that was not uh modified by the warehouse? Yeah, like, did he know... So, like, were they just doing him a solid and writing books for him? Yeah, did the warehouse, like, he, he apparently wrote a number of these these books, these books that were bad for some reason. Maybe, you know, there was some king in yellow shit or whatever. God, I hate drawing these Lovecraft illusions. Dude sucked. But anyway, right. uh, you know, he's got, he's writing a bunch, not just one, like, he wrote apparently a series of these, you know, spooky Alice books that cannot see the light of day. And the warehouse replaced all of them. So clearly they did not step in after the first book. So did they just, right. like, let him keep writing, but replaced the books as they went to print, and he never noticed? Yeah, I'm completely lost as to the backstory here. Because, like, he had not yet established a pen name when they started uh, swapping his books around like just prevent them from ever seeing the light of day it's not like he has his own printing press or something yeah like you just have to make sure he can't get published yeah you just have writing to, like, your own version of his books is like the most roundabout way to do this yeah like <laughs> because he's going to figure out that what got published isn't what he wrote Right, so unless he's complicit, like, it doesn't really make any and sense. And if he's complicit, and, like, why is he continuing to write books, and why is the warehouse continuing to produce fakes? Right, yeah, he could just produce the uh, the version that's not so fucked up from the very beginning. Yeah, or, like, continue writing, but understand that, like, the warehouse is going to have to lock this up. It's right. a very strange plot point. Yeah, it just doesn't make much sense to me. But anyway, that's less relevant compared to, uh, so they go back and forth, they find Mirror Micah, the Micah that is trapped in the mirror, who I'm going to call Real Micah, and, uh, Real Micah and Sex Micah are the two genders here. Um, right. <laughs> so Artie is against it, uh, Real Micah is like, when they do listen, she's like, you know, hey, I'm gonna kick your ass, Artie, you're, you're fucking with me here, whatever. Uh. Right. She doesn't use her first opportunity to be heard very well. I mean... It's worth noting. I can see why she would say that. Like... Yeah. Yeah, but maybe uh, maybe front load the uh, important details rather than your anger at uh, Artie. Come around to the anger. Like... Yeah, like... You're kind of trapped in here. Yeah, like, I can kind of see it. Like, you know, 
maybe providing a more authentic response would do it. But it's also like, what would you say to someone to get them to let you out of the mirror? Right. And ultimately, we see, uh, we see Artie, they turn on the laser mic once, Artie shuts it down, and they've covered up the mirror, and, like, they're talking about whether or not they think it could be the real Micah. And Artie realizes that she's doing the, uh, the neck thing Mm. when she's angry at him. Which Pete Which, mentioned earlier. Right. Artie wasn't here for this conversation, but uh, Pete mentioned that uh, Micah was angry at Artie, and Micah denied it. And Pete's like, no, whenever you hold your neck out to the left like this, uh, you're angry at Artie. And then he explained whenever she's angry at him, she, hol- she like elongates her neck. Yeah, she goes giraffe mode when she's mad at Pete, and to the side, right. to the right when she's mad at Artie. Right, and this is something Artie's apparently aware of as well, which because I, that's that's the thing that uh, gets them to turn yeah. the mic back on and start talking to her but, again. But this doesn't happen until later, because in between this, Pete calls, and Pete thinks there's nothing wrong. Like Artie says, like, is there anything wrong? Anything unusual at all? And Pete does a pretty good joke about, well, the buffet's overpriced. Right. And then Yeah. While they're while they're talking about this, Hardy's like he's been burned by too many of these you know, oh I'm the real one. Shoot her or whatever. Pete says holy Right. And then Pete says holy bananas when he's about something. I forget what. And then we see Sex Micah turn into murder Micah. Right, yeah, they they're up in front of uh the couples the con man and girlfriend couple uh their apartment that or hotel room that pete just uh tossed she's tied crime boy up in his hotel room and she's being all weird and horny about it uh not just yet uh in order to seem nonchalant oh yeah uh, before she does that uh, Micah plants a big old kiss on Pete so oh. that it uh, doesn't seem like they're loitering in the hallway to listen in on these right. two. Right, Pete and Micah see Crime Boy slip the the coin or whatever the the artifact into Crime Lady's purse, and right. then Micah makes that with Pete as a as a cover, and then Micah tracks her down, and Micah. Uh, tries to charm her way into Crime Boy's hotel room, it doesn't work, and she tests him. Well, at first she just punches him oh, in the right, mouth. Right, right. She doesn't <laughs> like... Tesla him until he's already tied up. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, just doing torture. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, so Pete uh, goes down to the table where... Uh, the where Julie uh what's her name? Hmm? Now I've lost Who it. Uh about? J- the uh crime lady. I have been Jillian. Com- yeah. Like I never Jillian write down anyone's playing. name. If I can't remember the name off the top of my head, I am going to call them like Crime Boy or Doctor Italy. Right, which is useful because that's the uh 
that's the relevant aspect of the plot. It's yeah. not like we'll ever see these characters again. Yeah, exactly. And conveniently, Claudia never meets uh, either of these two because she'd get awfully confused on her trip to Eureka, <laughs> where uh, she meets the uh, the two others that are played by these actors. Eh, look, sometimes there's just two of people. Yeah, I suppose it happens. Uh, so yeah, Pete approaches uh, Jillian and is trying to convince her to just give him the artifact. He's like, you can keep all the winnings. I don't really care. Just like, I need that thing. Mm-hmm. That, that is burning it's your hurting you off. anyway. Yeah. yeah, because it's apparently both uh, addictive and just sort of like gives you a contact burn. Yeah. Like, apparently it is bad enough that Crime Lady wants Crime Boy to see a doctor, which he refuses to. Right. So, yeah, uh, while that's going on, Micah is interrogating Crime Boy, and uh, you see a flash of some creepy face in Micah's mirror image. So it's very clear that she's not uh, normal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was also very clear because she just sort of is, like, uh, talking about killing this guy. Yeah, and also that we know that, like, we, the audience, have probably pieced together that that's real Micah in the mirror, and this is, and this sex Micah was, is not the real thing. Right, yeah, it should have been very apparent by this point. Yeah. Uh, so as she's doing that, Pete manages to snag the uh, the token. He gets a sight of the future once and goes, "Oh wow, yeah, this is uh, this is really something." Yeah, powerful stuff. And uh, then, so then Artie and you know back at the warehouse, they figure it out. They can't get Pete on the cell phone. They have Pete paged at the hotel. Right. Yeah. Because uh, because Claudia knows how hotels work yeah like claudia had to point out to everyone dude he's in a giant hotel you can just call them yeah which is honestly if i were like maybe it's because i'm you know my age but if i were trying to get a hold of someone at a hotel i would not think to call the hotel and have them page him like it seems weird that Claudia, who didn't know you could, like, take rubbings of a piece of paper, but knows about, but does know about you can call a hotel and have them page someone. Right. Yeah, I mean, I've stayed in hotels a lot, and I don't think that I would think to uh, call the front desk and have them call the... No, I've done it before, actually. There you go. I've called the front desk and been like, uh, can you get me through to this particular person? But it's one of those things. It's so rare for you to need something like that, that uh, it's very easy to overlook that option. Yeah. And that was probably a more common thing back in 2009 or whatever. Like, Right. Yeah. Cause... It wasn't as certain that you could reach someone on their cell phone yeah. back then. Yeah. We have 2020 brain. Right. We have much less healthy relationships with our cell phone these days. Yeah. So, like, if you call us on it, 
you're probably going to get an answer. And if you don't get an answer, you probably should assume you're not going to reach us otherwise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh... And so... And then... So... We go back to the... The crime hotel room. Where Sex Micah has... Uh, tesla Crime Boy on full blast. Not on full blast, because, uh... He survives. Yeah. Luckily. She Teslas him really hard. And yeah, she Teslas him probably on setting two of three, uh, but really close up. And he is already tied to a chair. It's not a good time for him. Yeah, and then Pete shows up. And he looks at the uh, at the guy tied to the chair and gets real close and touches his neck and goes you killed him mm -hmm. and turns a gun on Micah like very points a gun at Micah yeah which both we and so Micah everyone but Micah does not know that everyone but Micah knows this dude is actually alive yep right yeah, this is a, another really good bit of acting where he like opens his eyes looks confused for a second and like oh and then yeah figures it out Right, and uh, something that we passed over was they did turn back on the uh, the laser microphone and get Micah to explain something that only she and Artie would know, mm -hmm. and what she went with was that she can't trust Artie because uh, he keeps all of these secrets and blah 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 and then in the end she's like and despite all of this i i think you're pretty cool anyway yeah which like i get like that's my feelings on already which is the fact all this secret keeping is irresponsible but i think he's a cool guy and i would trust him well yeah so we've established at least on the uh warehouse team's end that this is very definitely the real Micah in the mirror. Yeah. And so they're trying to get a hold of Pete, which is why they called up the uh, the hotel. But the Pete's playing dumb because he knows Micah can hear his every uh, word mm -hmm. because of the earpieces they're sharing. Uh while he has Micah at gunpoint, uh, she asks him when he worked it out. And he's like, uh, when you kissed me, Micah would never kiss me. <laughs> and then... I, I wrote here that, uh, quote, Pete's not great at the one-liners, but I didn't actually write down what he said. Crying Boy has a good line, which is, cash me out <laughs> but I, I don't remember what Pete said I believe it was the uh, Micah would never kiss me and then he's like he sort of like to himself says and that you know regardless of what that says about me uh, <laughs> like so what we have he just uh, mentions that 
or he mentions the mirror that's back at the warehouse and Micah, fake Micah, uh, sex, sex Micah. Yeah, she says that she should have just smashed it when she uh, had the chance. So that uh, there's no chance of her ever being swapped back. And she explains that if you're going to swap someone through the mirror, that it's, you know, you need a body on the other yeah. side. Like, you don't... If Pete decided to shoot Micah, uh, sex Micah, then real Micah would not have a body to go back yeah. to. Yeah, you have to... For something to leave the mirror, something has to go in, or whatever. The law of equivalent right. exchange. Yeah, and so, uh, which, interesting that that's how that works. Yeah. We have laws for this shit, but whatever. Uh, so... Wait, weird how when Pete was playing ping pong against himself, there was only one ping pong ball. It didn't have to, like... Yeah, it just sort of phased through the mirror. Yeah, and it didn't have... Very strange. Maybe it's only for people. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it seems a little uh, frightening that inanimate objects can just fall into the mirror, but uh, I guess that's fine. Yeah, but yeah, but for people, there's this whole convenient plot thing. Right. And... Uh... So we we see Micah get the better of Pete and head back to the warehouse on her own to smash the mirror. Uh, and she walks in and there's a very convenient hammer sitting like in Artie's office. Well, and the mirror has been Jefferson moved. Airplane place. Right, of course. <laughs> and uh, the mirror is back in its original location within the warehouse, not in Artie's office anymore. So Artie's watching her move through the warehouse. Uh, Lena, and Lena and Claudia are up on the like catwalk thing where they have the zipline come from. And they're watching her through like a pair of binoculars. Claudia's ready to throw a switch on... Uh, on her laser microphone, which has been repurposed. Yeah, the laser, she set the laser to blue. Right. She set the laser to disco. <laughs> oh, we set the set lasers to fun. <laughs> right. Yeah, so uh they basically let her get pretty up close before they uh blast the disco ball, uh get disco fever going and manage to put uh, Micah face to face with sex Micah and she's screaming as she's sucked back into the mirror and uh, trapped in there forever. And Micah Classic comes back out. Right. We're glad to have uh, Micah Classic back and we move the mirror into the dark vault. Ooh. Yeah, and you don't want to know what's in the dark vault apparently. Ooh. I'm sure that will never come up again. Right. Uh, and we get a really interesting moment at the end. Pete doesn't have uh, money to return to Artie after his trip to Vegas, and Artie's kind of uh, concerned about that. 
And Pete points out that last minute Apache rides aren't cheap. Yeah. So, like, apparently the a lot of how the Secret Service gets around so fast in this series is they'll just charter airplanes and helicopters whenever they need to. Yeah, I'm not... Like, and an Apache is specifically, like, a military craft, yeah, so, so he's like, where... paying the military for their service. Where, yeah, like, I don't know how that transaction goes, like... So you have $10,000. Did he tip his Apache pilot $10,000? Yeah, like, how does this transaction work? How does a Secret Service agent say, here's $10,000, I need you to helicopter me to this, you know, this place in South Dakota? What is... Right. How does that I would go? think if this is how it works, there's no need for the $10,000. You say, hey, I'm Secret Service, this needs to happen right now. Yeah. Because, like, the plane, do- the plane and the helicopter doesn't take off any faster. The- there's still prep that needs to happen. Like, you can run it up the chain of command all you want while they're prepping the helicopter. Yeah, well, yeah. And, you know, I get, like, a, a private aircraft will get you there a lot faster than a, than a, a commercial airplane for a lot of reasons. I get that. But I'm just, how, how does this transaction work? Especially since Artie says something like, well, you could have gotten a Chinook for half the price if you'd called me. Right. And an Apache has a two, uh, near as makes no difference, 300 mile range. Mm -hmm. So, how far is it? I mean, it's certainly more than 300 miles to get to uh, South Dakota from Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, like even as the crow flies, Do, that's a a pretty significant trip. Like there right. are I would imagine there's that, at least a thousand miles. Yeah, like you have to go through pretty much all of Utah and Wyoming. Right. And it's the southernmost point in Nevada. Yeah. So like Yeah, there's a lot of distance to to cover, so the Apache was refueling in air. So they needed to send up a refueling craft as well. And refueling helicopters midair is dangerous as all hell. Yeah. I don't even know if Apaches do that. Yeah, that's. I thought that was a specifically an aircraft thing. Because, like, oh, that's uh, according to Google Maps here. It's a, it's a thousand mile drive, just about. Thousand and change miles. Okay. And that's, uh, that's taking the interstate. That's a reasonably straight shot, even if it was, like, you know. As the crow flies, it might be 900 miles or something like that. Which is still... Right. A lot. Yeah, they certainly do uh, mid-air refueling for certain helicopters. Uh, in this photo that Wikipedia uses for the Apache, I don't see an extended... Uh, refueling nozzle so this one at the very least is not equipped to do it and uh you generally don't want to because the blades do this thing where they make a uh, sort of donut shaped air current that uh tries to suck whatever tube you're trying to feed to the uh to the uh nozzle into the blades and if that happens everybody dies (laughs) so I found the distance measuring tool, and that's like 800 miles as the crow flies from Vegas to even like 
you know, somewhere in Black okay, Hills so National more Forest. Than, more than two full tanks of fuel. Yeah, so I'm really not sure what what happened here. And I'm I'm clearly it was the screenwriters not really paying attention, but Right. I mean, it clearly is that they like to hand wave away uh transit issues. Yeah. And like that's all well and good, but this time they directly address the way they do that. Yeah. And it's apparently having helicopters just fly you wherever despite it being a longer distance than that particular helicopter could carry. Well, that's you. why it cost $10,000. Right. They had to keep buying helicopter gas. <laughs> but, or like he had to like yeah, instead he to, of he had to find a, an Apache pilot who who would stop saying like, "But this doesn't make any sense." Like, do you just need an airplane? We can get you an airplane. I want the helicopter. Are you still there? Yeah. Okay. Did you did I cut out for a second? I was you know. Yeah, I lost you for a moment. Uh, I was just saying like. That's why you had to spend $10,000. You had to, like, find or bribe a, a helicopter pilot who wouldn't say, like, Bud, do you need a hel- Do you want an airplane? We can get you an airplane. Right. Why do you need a helicopter? That right. doesn't make any sense. Yeah, Pete really likes riding in helicopters. So despite them being slower and not having enough range to get you there, he, uh, he probably phoned ahead from one helicopter, had them have another one, ready to go, so they just touch down, he runs over to the next helicopter, and they take off. Yeah, or was his plan to, like, take an airplane most of the way there, and then helicopter to the warehouse? I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe they have, like, at the local airfield, a helicopter pilot with the clearance to know where the warehouse is. But it would certainly explain a lot, but, but like then why do seems you, a little uh, dubious. Yeah, but then why do you why do you have to pay that guy if presumably he works for the warehouse and has a vested interest in what whatever whatever. Right. Yeah. Wherever we're going with this, it uh it doesn't really work. Yeah. It doesn't make. It's very Fritz logic because it. Yeah, that didn't really occur to me while, we were, while I was watching it the first time, but yeah, now that we're talking about it, it doesn't make any sense at all. Are nautical miles longer I, than regular miles? I think so. Because a Chinook has a 400 nautical mile range. Oh, so according to this, a nautical mile is 2,025 yards. Which is about six thousand miles, and a mile, so it is longer than a a regular mile, which is five thousand two hundred eighty feet. Okay. So it's, you know, a good eight hundred feet longer than a a classic mile. Right. So I think it's still well out of Chinook range, but uh, Artie's plan would have been better because the Chinook does fly a substantial amount further. Yeah. Which, who knows, maybe he meant, uh, that's what he meant by it would have cost half as much. <laughs> right, you need half as many helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you can lift big things with that. Well, that's yeah, the episode. Th- yep.
<sighs> it was a good one. Uh, weirdness about the helicopter nonsense aside, like, I'm say it again, I think this is one of my favorite episodes so far. There was, like, genuine twists and mystery. Uh, Artie was, like, you know, reasonable. Like, you know, his decisions made sense instead of just holding with withholding information for no reason. I've recently uh, started watching Bones Season 5, yeah. which aired in 2009 as well. Uh, mostly because the uh, hosts of Trash Future did a little spin-off podcast uh, called the Boney Island Whitefish, mm. and I've been listening and watching along uh, as I go through the series. Oh. And it's... Uh, Comparatively, this show takes its realism a lot more seriously. Like, I had totally forgotten just how Buck Wild Bones is as a series. <laughs> because it's played a lot more straight. But, like, they have the same sort of magical transit thing where people just cover massive distances no problem like like it's nothing mm -hmm. but uh yeah they also uh, there's some real weird stuff with that series now i've never seen bones <laughs> okay i've never like had much of a patience for like police procedurals except of course for warehouse 13 does she fuck the bones <laughs> uh I don't believe Dr. Temperance Be Brennan fucks the bones. Right. However, uh, <laughs> we do have, uh, oh, what's her name? Dr. Bonefucker. Yeah, early on, there's a, a character added, and she's artistic, and that's what she brings to the table at the Jeffersonian Institute. And, like, in the middle, in the middle of season five, she is going on about her uh, her abstinence kick. Uh, Angela Montenegro in that series, and like by this point in the series, she's horny enough. She probably does fuck the bones, yeah. or at least she'll like you know draw the skeletons boning. Right. Yeah, I uh, I just watched the episode where they uh, they discovered that. This guy who, uh, this murder victim in this, uh, little suburbia, like, enclave cul-de-sac thing, uh, was running a, uh, online sex toy business mm -hmm. out of his garage. As one does. Right. Yeah, and that had nothing to do with what got him murdered for the most part. Oh, right. <laughs> this was not a sex murder, this was just a regular murder. Oh, it was definitely a sex oh, murder, right. but it didn't have much to do with the uh, the online business. Right. Unrelated, <laughs> unrelated to the sex toy business, I run out of my garage. I did get sex murdered. Right. I hate it when I get sex murdered. Ah, <laughs> uh, the kids these days you can't you can't even walk down the street without getting sex murdered. If uh, if any of the uh, 
the Boney Island whitefish uh, folks are listening, you're welcome to uh, join us on the show sometime. Just drop us an email at uh, warehouse69.tuna.io. <laughs> uh, we should start maintaining a list of, like, standing offers to come be on the show. All right. Yeah. right. Are there any of these people? Good news. You can be on our <laughs> podcast. Right. I mean, I don't know why we would need to keep a list. I mean, all of these people clearly listen to the show, oh, so yeah. like the, they know that they have an invitation. Oh yeah, like Eddie McClintock, big fan of the show, I assume. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's safe to say. Yeah. It, it would be weird if he wasn't. Hi Eddie, how are you? Thanks for listening. <sighs> <laughs> I think this is my uh my new thing. We're we're gonna pretend like we've always been uh been wa- listened to by everyone. Oh yeah, like you know, just kind of assume that uh whoever we're talking about is in fact currently listening to this podcast. I mean they are in this yeah, case. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Hi listeners. How are you? Uh all right, shall we uh, finish the show? Yeah, I think it's uh, about time to uh, go ahead and play it out. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you all for listening to Warehouse 69, the Fediverse's finest Warehouse 13 watch podcast. As always, truly it was a Warehouse 13. Good night, and I don't really, I still don't really know how to end this. Man.